Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Book Club. First rule of Book Club is you must always talk about Book Club. Second rule of Book Club is tell everyone about Book Club. Wheeled out the big guns today, not only in terms of our guests, but in terms of the book. Uh, we've got Christian Hatton and we have got Tim Hood. Welcome to the show, guys. I guess probably the first thing to do is if you could just introduce yourselves, tell us a little bit about what you do and what you're up to, and then let's get on with introducing the book and cracking on with the show, really. After you, Christian. Thank you, Tim. So, uh, pleasure to be here, guys, and thank you, Johnny. Thank you, Michael, for for inviting me. So, I guess, who who am I currently? Uh, Christian Hatton. I'm sales director for Amir for a company called Peak, who are an AI and machine learning company. Um, our particular take in the market is decision intelligence. So effectively what, what we do is apply AI machine learning um, commercially to drive profit and growth. Um, and work with some great names in, in both like CPG manufacturing and retail. So, so yeah, an exciting business, exciting times and uh, I'm pleased to be with you today. Fantastic. About you, Tim. Well, my name's Tim Hood. I'm the Associate Vice President for Highland in EMEA, which is the Europe, Middle East and Africa. And I have overall commercial responsibility for sales, services, pre-sales, business development and pretty much the commercial business in EMEA. Um, Highland is a leading content services provider. So we look at securely storing content, uh, providing access to it both internally and externally for our customers and then kicking off workflows and um, data management behind, behind the scenes. Um, we're about a billion dollars globally, um, and about 130 million of that is in the EMEA region. And I am also delighted to be here and great to see everyone uh, in lockdown too. I'm looking forward to a fun couple of hours to distract me from the day-to-day grind, Jonathan. <laughs> well, it, no, it's I've... snowing in Leeds, actually. It's actually snowing here. Yeah. We had a lot. We had a lot last week because I'm out of yeah, the not too far away. But today, the the the, the moors the moors a little bit snowy out the window, but it's not too bad. It's horrendous outside. Right, Correct. We've got two flood warnings near us today. None of which will affect us because we live on a hill. Um, well, you're all right then, Jack. So tell us about <laughs> this book, Johnny. <laughs> By the way, this is one of my favourite ever sales books. Mine too. It's Mine a beauty. Too. Do you want to introduce it, Johnny? I will, yeah. So today we are talking about The Unfair Advantage by uh, Dr. Dwayne Lakin, PhD, uh, and the subtext is Sell with NLP. What fascinates me about this book is it's an absolute hidden gem in the world of sales thinking. Um, And a book that I reckon I've read about five, six times alongside NLP training that I've done in my own career. And it stuns me that it's never had a greater uptake. I think that's more about the author than necessarily the content. I don't think Dwayne has pushed it perhaps as well as other authors of books that have less value have, particularly over the last four or five years. Dwayne's a little bit older, perhaps not quite jumped onto social media, perhaps like others have. And as a result, well, it's, well, it's not Jeb Blount, is it? No, Jeb's <laughs> a professional social media um, yeah. personality. He's a professional influencer in reality. Whereas yeah. Dwayne Lakin is a professional thinker. He's a doctor, um, isn't he? He's actually a yes. doctor. Um, and the book is just 
for me, this is selling gold. And I'm really, we've had a couple of books on the show, Tim, Christian, where Mike and I have almost lost the will to live. Um, well, we, well, we sent Tim and Christian a book that actually I pulled because I thought it was so bad. I can't remember the name of it. I thought it was an absolute um, shocker. That's four hours of my life. I'll never get back, Mike, but don't worry about that. <laughs> oh. I, I repaid you with Mike this, though. Pulled it. Mike pulled it before <laughs> I got too far into it. Oh, you're a wise man, Christian. You're wiser than I was. <laughs> I mean, Tim and, uh, and Christian, have you ever heard of this book, The Unfair Advantage, before? Have you come across NLP at all? NLP is something that, um, I mean, actually, you introduced it to me, Michael, um, way back when I when I first uh, travelled down to Leeds to meet with you. And I had dug wow. into it more around that, around the audio and, and visual and sensory stuff. Um, and we've done a little bit of NLP um, during my time, you know, in the last sort of 10 years, but not to this level of, of detail. Um, and I guess, you know, I, I agree it was a great book. I think some of the reasons it isn't quite as popular as some of the ones you see, maybe when it was released, the kind of social media influence and thing wasn't wasn't quite there. Also, it kind of it is it's quite scientific. You know, it isn't a it isn't a simple read. And I think it needs, you know, quite a lot of detail. And, and you know, John, you said you've read it five times. I'd agree. It's not something, you know, I'll need to go back to some of the sections yeah. that I highlighted definitely because there is quite a lot of detail and process in there. Um, which I guess sometimes in patient sales, people would struggle to really, really discipline themselves to learn, despite the fact it may really help them. Mm. Yeah, I think there's two things. I think it it take the, as a book, and we'll talk about it more at the end of the show. I think it, the, the learning takes integration and determination. Point one and point two is there's no silver bullet, so it doesn't have a pithy title at the front like the challenger sale, challenge 100%. your customers, and all and, and all will be okay. I was just going to say exactly the same. Maybe the, the reason this kind of book hasn't had so much coverage is it's it's not offering that silver bullet of, you know, if you, if you if you do social influencing now, if you do social selling, like that'll solve all your ills and you'll be a successful yeah. salesperson and, and, and make it sound easy. Like the stuff in this book is is I agree it's gold, but it's not easy. Mm. Um, you know, there's some some like key lessons in here that. It's the kind of book you wish you'd read, right, when you started your sales career for me. <laughs> yes, I like, agree. If I'd have known this, some of this stuff earlier, like what, what could, I, could I have achieved? Um, so, yeah, I think – sorry, go on. No, no, I, I was agreeing with you, Christian. I think it's one of those things that it's hard to undo what you already do to integrate this into doing it like this. Yeah. Yeah. Shall we begin then, gents? Have a little yes. read through it and, and pick up on some key bits. Sure. So – um, he opens up. I, I'm a big re as you know, I always read the preface. There's not a lot in the preface of this one. There's a couple of bits, and I, I think his preface to the revised edition, which I do think the revision has been great, by the way. Um, he talks about people buying from people, and it's such an easy thing to skip over what he says there. And the amount of times I hear people say to me, candidates that I interview, yeah, yeah, well, people buy from people, don't they, Johnny? But I don't think many people really know what people buying from people really means. And what he means is that people buy with emotion and they buy with their subconscious, very deep needs. Um, and he, he, he kind of skips over that. Ironically, an nlp would say it's a surface level comment um, and that there's a whole million, myriad of layers underneath it. I think that in itself, just the phrase people buy from people, he says it here. I think that's massive. 
But what most people think people buy from people means is, oh, if I'm a likable, cheeky chappy, I'll probably be all right. <laughs> yeah. And, and well, we all know loads of likable, cheeky chappy salesmen, don't we? Well, it's interesting. An interesting one to put to Tim and Christian really is, so you're sat opposite somebody that you're interviewing and you say to them, or that, how do you sell? Or they say to you, people buy from people. How much thought, Tim or Christian, do you give that when people say that to you in an interview? Or do you gloss over it like we all do because you've heard it so many times? I think, I mean, it's people always, people do buy from people. I think, you know, perhaps the fact it's repeated so often, um, you know, it, it does take some of the emphasis away. I think one of the other interesting things I found in the in the preface was that, you know, now more than ever, the customer has more, has enormous control. And I think that's, you know, that's so true now when we can't meet in person, we're doing everything remotely and trying to establish that rapport and that connection quickly yeah. when we're doing 98.5% of our meetings like this you have less time to influence than you used to. You have less time to build that relationship because customers, can, they can turn you off. If you're in a meeting like this and you get bored, they can turn off the camera and go do email and you can't you can't tell. So I think having <laughs> that influence and building that relationship as quickly as possible is, is more key than ever. And actually there's a few sections throughout the book where I kind of thought about that as okay, how, how does that apply in the, in the, you know, the situation where we're now in? But that person-to-person connection is, is more valuable now than ever because we get less time to make it and we can't go for a, a drink or go for lunch and, and, and build that cheeky, chappy, great relationship. It is more about delivering value quickly and you know being able to establish that connection for the longer term. Yeah, yeah I concur. And then he, he opens up chapter one. His opening line of the, of the whole book is, your job is to influence people, full stop. And, and again, I thought it's one of those lines in a book where you could skip over it quickly and miss it. Um, and Michael and I talk about this a lot. I, I have a personal theory with selling. It was, it's not my own. It was given to me by a, an old boss of mine. He used to say that X percentage of the deals that you, that you win should be because the development team have built a product that the customers were always going to buy because it's just damn good. He said the another, another 30% of the deals that you're always going to win should be because marketing got the message out to the market that development had built its product that was that good that it was always going to solve their problems. He said the 30% that the salesman should get paid for are the deals we ordinarily wouldn't have won had he not been there. And he said, if he, and he always used to say, if I had my way, I won't pay commission till people were 77% to target or 66% to target. Because actually the first 66% should because the business has done its job for the salesman. He said the rest of it, that bit, that's the bit where the salesman makes a difference as to whether the customer would or wouldn't have bought the solution anyway. And I, what, what, something in Mike and I, I don't know what your views are, Mike, but we've talked about it before. So many people that we meet, we look at them and we think, you, did you really make a difference as to whether that three million pounds you made last year working for Oracle or I don't know, whoever, would that have happened anyway? Or actually, did you make that three million quid happen? And most of that is actually influence, but I find influence has become a really dirty word in selling. And a lot of people don't like to think of themselves as people who influence a customer to perhaps do something they might not ordinarily have done or make a decision they might not ordinarily have made. People think that's dirty, but I actually mm. think that's what we all get paid for. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's a right way and a wrong way to influence people. Right. And, and I think <laughs> when, when you, when you get into this book, like, 
communicating to somebody in the way that they want to be communicated to because you've listened and you've actively listened. And something I love that he says at the, you know, the start of the book is why communication fails is that like failure to notice you know, yeah. how many salespeople are too focused on themselves, what they want out of the conversation and actually, you know, I'm not listening to you, Tim, because I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next. And therefore I'm not picking up on the fact that you're, you prefer a visual or an auditory like form of communication mm-hmm. um, and, and, and like building rapport like that, that to me isn't, um, you know, that, that's not unduly influencing people that that's being present. That's being a professional. Yeah. And I think, you know, that that's what the book speaks to in, in my opinion. Doing it like I agree. Do money. I agree. You make a great point actually, Christian, which is, I think we're all at times guilty of thinking what we're next going to say to a prospect rather than actually, Tim's not, rather than actually listening to what remember, they're saying to us. I remember so many times when I was, well, I was in, you know, directly carrying a sales quote that I'll be in front of a customer and they start talking about their problems and their objections. And I'd be so excited. Like, oh, I, know, I know how I'm going to answer that. I know how I can, I can counter that objection. I can get a ticket in the box and move to the next stage. Oh, I want to speak now because salespeople want to be liked and they want to take the objections yeah. away. And I wasn't thinking, how, how best can I phrase that? So the person that I'm about to answer the objection is going to, is going to receive it in a way that they're comfortable with and it helps me move forward in the sale. And how should I be communicating that to the rest of the group? I just wanted to get to my back to my notebook and tick it off and say, okay, right, the fact that we don't integrate with SAP is not a problem anymore, or whatever it, whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I agree with what you and Christian were saying is that we've got to, you know, we've got to really think about how we communicate to the customers. I do think he also makes another good point throughout a couple of times. Um, you know, that the, there's the reference to making sure that you use the influence for the right reasons. You know, almost you're using your powers for good, not evil. You're, you're yeah, right, yeah. Right, that our job as salespeople is to influence and to sell. You know, I, I've never been afraid to say I am a salesperson. That's my my job is to to make to get the customer to make a decision in our favour. But I think you know, being cognizant of doing also, you know, using the skills in the right way and always being ethical and selling something that you think is going to be good for the customer as well is is important to to remember as well. Yeah, I agree completely. And I think there's a lot of the skill in this book. If you were that way inclined, you could misuse it very easily. Yeah. Going back to Johnny's point about like when you, when you interview people as well, I don't know if you found this Tim, but um, I've started, I did an interview yesterday, got a ton more this week. um, uh, Beautifully settled by Michael Price incidentally. (laughs) um, Like we've got this, I guess we have this tendency to focus on areas like activity, you know, tell me, tell me how you generate leads. Tell me how you kind of manage your time. Talk to me about your process. Like how do you, how do you sell? Um, what is your sales process? How do you qualify? How do you know when a, a prospect has, has gone, you know, gone quiet and you're not keeping them to that mutual plan. But this book has made me dig so much deeper into like that emotional intelligence and, and people savvy. So I have, I've started to ask candidates, you know, what do you feel is the key to influencing others? And it's really interesting hearing, you know, some of them maybe come from that angle of like, you know, sales, sales is about trying to influence in in the wrong kind of ways versus actually it's about building rapport, understanding how people want to be communicated to um, and building that trust through a sales cycle. So 
I but, agree. We probably need to focus more on those those like EQ rather than IQ at times. Well, You're right, but but be careful asking candidates what they think, how they influence um, their end user clients, because you'll never hire anybody. Because actually, <laughs> I, I think I, I honestly think a lot of a lot of salespeople don't think about that. They he don't think about it. He mentions it, Mike, on page three. Says one of the reasons we're, that, we're only on page three. We've been going yeah. twenty minutes. <laughs> you know, communication fails because people have a failure to repeat what they do. I.e., they don't actually have a replicable. Yeah. methodology yeah. with which they do their their sales work or, or one that they're cognitively aware of. And I think that's two things. One is people don't have a methodology at all, or people do have a methodology, but it's become so unconsciously competent that they've actually forgotten what it was and they're just doing it on autopilot, which is as big a cr- crime as being a rookie who's having to think about everything and work out a methodology. Can I just so, come back to something that Christian said? Christian, you yeah. said you know, what it, when you're interviewing. So things like mirroring and pacing are stuff that you know I, I've been trained on before. And when I'm interviewing, I'll watch and I'll make a note. But I'll also stop and say, are you mirroring because you've gone through NLP training or because it's natural? And be honest, I'll also try and do some weird things. Occasionally, I will totally change my body and move away to see how they, you know, is it, is it something which is just happening naturally because they're, they're empathetic people and they want to, you know, to, to try and react well to me? Or are they actually consciously doing it and also seeing how honest people are because if they say i don't know what nlp is i said well it's still great you're mirroring because it's a good sign that you're reacting well to me and if they say yes then you know it's interesting to see what else they're doing throughout and try and throw people off you know i I flipped the camera around i tried the other day i flipped the camera around with one of my colleagues and looked in different directions who'd gone through nlp training just to see if i could throw them off when they were trying to it was quite it was quite good fun they hadn't noticed that the camera was flipped around I think, you know, in, in the interview process now, yeah, I, I do look for a lot more of those. You, know, you, you mentioned emotional intelligence, Christian. I think in today's sales, you need to be more than the guy who's likable and can make a joke. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And to, and to, it's interesting that on, on this point. I had a colleague reach out to me recently. I won't obviously won't name him, but um, he's not directly in a in a frontline sales role, but he, he gets involved in a lot of sales cycles um, at times given his background and he asked me like the question kind of was like I'm trying I'm doing some reading at the moment I'm trying to understand like what what is this secret source where like in some sales cycles we seem to have this connection with the prospect and they you know and, and, and everything seems to go smoothly and it goes great and they buy from us versus like where we feel like we're we're butting heads and I didn't hesitate in pointing him towards this book because I think you know what we've just been talking about there is um sometimes you might like I'm quite um visual like I recognize that in myself so um I might be talking to a prospect who's also visual you know come off a call I might not be consciously aware of it but I come off a call and like you know what like what a great guy you know like we we hit it off he got everything I was talking about yeah. versus I might be talking to somebody who's um, kinesthetic and we're like butting heads and he's saying things to me like, you know, like I, I really need to feel feel like confident you guys can deliver this or, you know, I can't grasp what, what you know, what you're after. Um, and I'm, I'm coming off the call going, why can't you see it? Like, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and so, so I've really, 
I've really encouraged him to kind of, you know, read the book and, and learn from some of that. Cause I think that, like I say, I think that is gold in terms of just understanding at a basic level, like what their VAC preference is could, yeah. that could go such a long way in, in building that rapport in a sales cycle. And what's fascinating, Christian, is that not understanding that effectively narrows your addressable client audience by two thirds, mm. which is nuts when you think about it. And yeah. it, I was thinking about it when I was rereading the book. I, I did it on the audiobooks. I've been out walking the dog whilst I've been listening to the book. But one of the things it got me thinking about is Michael and I are doing a big rebrand at the moment. Michael and I are very, as, as uh, Walter White said in... Um, Breaking Bad, Michael and I are very simpatico and we, we sort of just fall into, into step with each other a lot of the time. And I do wonder as we're doing this rebrand process, are we rebranding for an audience that suits Michael and me or are we rebranding for the entirety of the potential addressable audience? And are we always going to end up with customers that are like us? And yeah, we're, to, and, we're discounting two thirds of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know we're discounting a potential two thirds of the market, and I, uh, just being aware of that, I think, will help as we go through that exercise. And I look at a lot of companies over the years where you think, "Christ, they're all like little clones." That we've had plenty of clients like that, haven't we, Mike? Where it's like they're cloning human beings, without a doubt. Yeah, without a doubt. And you actually we, look at it and think. Maybe if you if you put it in the context of this book, are they just hiring visual or auditory or kinesthetic people? Are they just hiring a specific psychological type without even consciously being aware of it? Sociodemographic. The, and then narrowing products. their own end user cohort to which they can sell. Yeah. And making success out of harvesting that third of the market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually alienating a whole subsection thereof. It is, and, and that, it, I think more than anything... None of us are ever going to be, you know, I'm, I can be flipped between being very visual and very, very auditory very quickly. I think more than anything, am I going to be that good at talking to somebody who's really kinesthetic? Probably not, but being aware of the fact that they're kinesthetic and I'm not at least gives me a chance, doesn't it? It does. And then just stick into the book a little bit, because I know we like talking, but Tim and Christian, you might not notice. I, I actually I actually follow the book. One of my favourite parts, I think there's three good bits in this That's book. That's because you're digital, Michael. I know, yes. And you are <laughs> a process person. What's incredible is my daughter. My daughter's 12. She's learning from home. It's literally just like watching me. She's not allowed to do it in her bedroom. She has to do it in the dining room. I walk into the dining room, You get she's called Honey. I go, you all right, honey? She goes, yep, leave me alone. Right, good. <laughs> good conversation. <laughs> it literally is like talking to me. Anyway, the three best books are the VAC bit, chapter 12 that will come on. I think chapter three, the engineered selling process. I've actually written this on my wall. Get an invitation, develop the relationship, exchange information, maintain a relationship, get a decision. Yeah. You know what? I Before you even mention that, I've got that page turned over and I was like, it's as simple as that, really, isn't it? Like, it's no more yeah. complicated yes. than that. Yeah. yeah. Selling's that simple. Yeah. It is. And you can do this bit of strategy and that bit of strategy. and But actually, that kind of sums it up. He's bang on the money with it. Yeah. If you did that with every single person you'd met, irrespective of how gigantic the sale is, just did that with everyone, you're going to get bloody close to selling something, aren't you? Well, also, the selling is more than telling. I mean, that's one of the things with my teams that drives me mad. 
is that they think that providing information to, to customers is selling. And I know that's providing information to customers. The selling <laughs> is making it meaningful and getting them to do something with it in, in our favor. That selling is more than telling thing. It's something I've hit for, hit for years. And I think is, yeah. is, is so. How do you manage that though, Tim? How can you manage that? Um, well, occasionally I get really, really frustrated and yell at people. That's not true. I don't, I don't <laughs> yell at people. That wouldn't be, a, that wouldn't be at, all, at all correct. I, I think there's, to a degree, you've got to get the right people in the right roles. You know, there are, you know, you can look at Hunter Farmer or you can look at account-based, client size, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. But I, I think just really making sure that people understand that providing information is great, but at some point there has to be an exchange for something that's, that's useful to you. And also, you've got to be invited to get to the next step, which I think is in chapter three as well. You know, you can't just keep, if you just keep providing more and more information. You know, you've got to earn the right to, to do something useful with it and have the conversation about what gets to the next the next step. Mm. And I think it is just that that persistence of you know when you're doing deal reviews or whatever else, looking at it and saying, okay, right, it's great that the customers asked for 300 pieces of information and they've been on our website 27 times and downloaded 14 PDFs. But is that just because they want to build an RFP and they're trying to take the best bit of everything? Or, you know, what are you doing to actually get them to utilize that information in our, in our favor? Because, frankly, if we're just providing information, I don't need high-paid high paid salespeople. I need a good website and someone who can answer queries. Yeah, I agree, Tim. I put a post about this on LinkedIn the other day. And the point I made was that particularly given what's happened in the last year, it's really accelerated, I think, the way the sales profession is, is moving forward. And about 10 years ago, Gartner actually wrote that about something like a third of sales jobs would be gone by X date due to artificial intelligence technology. And the, the selling is telling concept is fascinating because what we've got now are buyers that are so sophisticated and so on it that if actually all you're doing is managing a transaction, and particularly during the pandemic, people have started buying online. They've make, the people are making procurements of massive emotional, personal value online that they never would have ordinarily made a year or two ago and are comfortable doing it. And the implications of that for business-to-business -business selling are that if all you're doing is managing a transaction – well, the customer can kind of manage his own transaction himself now. Can I pick up on that? And you're bringing value and actually understanding the client at a level that they themselves don't understand, I think a lot of salespeople are going to be in really big trouble in the next few well, years. Well, I'm going to pick up on that and pick on you, actually, Christian, which is oh, selling versus telling, yeah. selling to an undeveloped need. Yeah, you and I speak a lot about that. If you're selling to an undeveloped need, you can't tell. I don't think. No, but the I guess I'm always fascinated in. You know this, Michael, as part of our interview process, right? We we ask people to do a role play. You know, a, a lot of businesses do, but we we intentionally give them very little information. Um, you know, so typically we'll say you meet with a retailer, they're 800 million turnover. And you meet in the head of strategy and the head of the CIO. That's it. Basically, our, C our CEO has told us to meet with you because he's heard some good things about you. Um, and I guess what we're we're trying to um, test for and elicit out of people is like you've not got a lot to work with there. We don't want you to do three hours of prep looking at our annual report and investor relations decks and, and pull some fancy presentation together. We just want to see how you build rapport. Um, and ask 
great like discovery questions listen do more listening than talking and then hopefully if you've done a good job of that like we'll be compelled to um extend an invitation as the book says to like you know talk to you a bit more um and it's amazing like how many candidates like don't understand that and and over prepare talk too much about um you know the business that they're representing um it, it, i i just i find that fascinating um well it's interesting you only see the ones that i think are capable of doing that but there are a lot of tellers out there you know going yeah. back to what tim was saying about getting the right people from the start i think is what you said tim and then you go and try and get the right people from the start and then they're still telling <laughs> And you think, how didn't I pick that up? I thought they were sellers, not tellers. But I think a lot of that harks back to how people were initially trained early on in their career. You know, you look at the IBMers, they were trained Lacked to be off. tellers. Well, yeah. they trained to be tellers, weren't they, the IBMers? They yeah. were very famous the the for it. The early ones were. A lot of it, Michael, is mind reading as well. Uh, Christian, I don't know if you, like you say, people are filling in gaps with information they've not got. Yeah. Rather than eliciting the information. Yeah. They're building enough rapport to get the information and then work with the information that they've then gleaned. Mm. And, I, I, just and I, so that. often we see people that what they actually do is they mind read, but how you can't mind read. None of us are mind readers. If just we were, that natural, we'd be wealthy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> just having that natural curiosity to kind of yeah dig a little bit deeper and, and not accept those um, like surface level answers um you know so so a prospect talks about a challenge or a problem within their business and then but like digging a, a little bit deeper for like the root cause and um like how have they tried to address that in their business and like really getting down to the root of the problem again confidence. It's, it's the confidence to yes. ask one more question because yeah. again the natural thing is i want to i want to give them the solution to what they've said but if you don't really get to the the core of the problem you're not giving them a solution to what they said you're like what well, you know you said jonathan um you're, you're mind reading and guessing you know always ask one more question and be confident to, to to let the information come to you rather than jumping in and saying right here's the problem you need two of these three of those and it's twenty five thousand pounds a month yes you're right do you know what's interesting a guy said to me years ago he said mike i don't think i've ever seen a salesperson lose a sale because they were trying to understand the customer better Never, never seen that. Now we're getting into the language of the mind, which is that, which is you know one of the whole parts of it really. Visual, auditory, and kinesthetic. Chapter um, four. This is Mike, isn't it? Yeah, chapter four onwards. Really, this is where it starts getting quite meaty. I think about listening to people, and for all the people that are watching, which I think most people listen to it. What I think is brilliant about this book is they give examples of visual language examples, visual language phrases, and you. All of them, because I use them all the time, and it's easy for me. Auditory language examples, auditory phrases. Mm. But then, what I found <laughs> fascinating was kinesthetic. So when it tells you in the book to you know to do the um, uh, to, to to do the exercises, which I always do in the books, I, I properly had to use these two pages to find kinesthetic words, which just showed me how difficult I must find it to communicate with people who have a kinesthetic language preference. That's interesting, isn't it? I couldn't think of kinesthetic phrases. I'm really glad really I gave struggling. a reference for you to be a volunteer on Crisis Text Line. 
Well, it's all text based. It's all text messages, isn't it? So it it's is. all digital and, anyway. And, and, and what's interesting is how much you'll use, how much you actually use this when you're doing it. And so I mean, how you can do it. So let's say, guys, Tim and Christian, let's say you really bought this book and you went, right, I really like this. Let's say you spoke to your salespeople and went, right, I really think we should start investing some time in this. What I'd like you to do is get three sheets of A4 paper. I'd like you to write visual, auditory, kinesthetic, and I'd like you to put those three sheets of paper around your home office so when you're speaking to a prospect, you can pick up on it. How likely do you think they would be to do that, guys? I think they'd be likely to do it. I, I think if I said this is important, and, and I actually thought about this before, you know, when I was prepping for this, I, you know, I, I wasn't quite sure how tough you guys would be. I was, this could be a Q&A. They could grill me to say on page 77. I actually, it wouldn't be the first time. Um, uh, I one of my old CEOs is very much like that. Where we all read this house, but Carl it was. Um, well, okay, what did it say on page 77? You know, I, I didn't memorize it. Um, but I did actually think, because some of this stuff, you know, I, I agree, Michael, that, you know, it, 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 it is difficult to get out of our comfort zone. I did actually think about printing stuff out, which kind of took me back, I'm going to print something, and putting up some kind of cue cards. But I, I think because of the complexity of some of the stuff and the fact that you need to build that kind of muscle memory to be able to use it frequently, I, if I was going to use this really actively, I would need some, some visual cues, which maybe need some visual. Um, but I, I think if I said to the sales team, you should put the, the you know, the, the back words on a, on, a, on a chart that you can see or whatever. I, I think they'd do it because, mm. um, you know, the, uh, the, the, the requirement would, would, it would be really tough to do it without. The other thing I did think about, because I manage an international team, is how easily this would translate into German, French, Italian, Spanish, ah. everything else. Because I speak a couple of languages and I was trying to think through, is it the same in, 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 in what we see? That was something I couldn't, I couldn't work out because 70% of my team are outside of the UK. So it was, a, it was an interesting hmm. thought about would this apply equally in other, other languages? And I'm not, certainly not going to ask an American um, about how to apply stuff in, in, in Germany and France. But it was a, a <laughs> I think, yes, that was a long answer to say, yes, Michael, I think <laughs> they would, and I think they would need to. I think Do you know in some languages, people aren't, the, the phrase they use in NLP is organised in the same way for an eye-accessing perspective? So I know there are certain languages where the eye-accessing cues don't translate directly. So I have to be really careful now. So now, not only do I have to remember my different rows and my different directions and my backwards, <laughs> I now have to work out which language I'm speaking to. I should ask at the start, for clarification, can you tell me if you're German or Austrian? Because you might look in different ways. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's not, but by and large, most people, I think it translates pretty well. Do you reckon you could get your guys to do it, Christian, if they wanted to, or if you wanted them to? Absolutely. I think, like with anything, start with the basics, right? So I'd probably start them with the, you know, with the VAC principles. Very often we're on calls where, you know, it's not it's not just the, um, you know, the sales lead on their own. They might have pre-sales with them. I might be on their other, like, data scientist. I'm sure in some of those forums we could say we, you could even give an individual the responsibility of right. Let's try and let's try and understand this individual's preference for communication through like how they're communicating to us, um, and then let's let's share that and, and make sure we try and communicate to them in the right way. You could also get them to test it right with existing existing customers. Um, you know, let's try and figure out 
like their preferences for communication and then and, and build on it from there. I think obviously to, to Tim's point, and I was thinking about this when I read the book, like the, the eye direction thing. I mean, that must be hard enough to do right in, even in a one-to-one scenario, like sat in a coffee shop, never mind over Zoom. So yeah. um, I, I think that's something you, you would have to build towards. But certainly um, things like VAC, things like embedding command language in, in communication and the way we speak to people, I think they're all like quick wins that even somebody who's just starting out in their, in their career in sales could start to practice and embed into, into what they do. Well, well, here's the next best business idea. I'll give it to all three of you. And if all three of you make a million pounds out of it, you've got to buy me a beer, which is I was thinking about the context of meeting people online. And I did wonder whether an AI software vendor could assimilate information, could figure out whether you're V or K, V, v, a, v a or K, and then give you scripting prompts. So it would go... Already done, Mike. You're joking. That's Somebody- smart. Well, it, not quite on the NLP level, but there's a company called Gong. Um, and quite a few others, actually. And a, and a few oh, others that, have, that, oh, a few others that have sprung up where the technology is listening to the calls and then suggesting things for the salespeople to say as the, as the call progresses. And what they're, pulling out of the, um, what they're pulling out of the recording as well, aren't they, Johnny, is like what, what was the critical part of that conversation yeah. where it turned like where it, it led to a successful outcome or an unsuccessful outcome. So, wow. So well, and they're, provi- that and they're providing sale, incredible data yeah. on sale. They're, they're providing a, data on sales calls that no one's ever had before in the history of selling. How many times, though, I mean, Chris, you must, I guess you must have, I've been on so many calls when you've got um, you know, teams or whatever else in the background. And I, you know, if I'm on a call, and it's normally a fairly, a fairly late part of the sale and it's, it's normally reasonably substantial and i will be texting my salespeople saying don't talk say this you say that i'll, I'll be doing the kind of, i mean and that's probably a little bit micromanagement i wouldn't recommend and it's but on occasion <laughs> I, I, I have jumped in and say shut up now don't talk until they talk um so maybe i'm that kind of i wouldn't say i'm artificially intelligent or indeed intelligent michael but maybe i'm doing that by, by, yeah, by accident yeah. to some of my salespeople. tim i caught my wife doing it with a colleague on monday she was doing a demo with somebody and she said that she spent the whole demo texting them saying, shut up, now talk, shut up, say this, say that. Um, Cause she said that the, the person she was doing the demo with was just making an absolute hash of it. But why wouldn't you, if there's two of you in the room? I did. I must do. I did this with a, one of my, I won't name him, obviously <laughs> one of my sales team in, in the middle. He's like, would you stop texting me? I'm like, no. Then we close the, <laughs> the deal. He's like, okay, now I understand why it was biggest. He was the biggest deal ever. I was so pleased for him. He was like, at the end, he was like, okay, now I understand why. Um, <laughs> we, you know, I, I was either right or lucky, one of the two. And I, you know, I say, I'll, I'll take luck as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much so. Uh, so on this chapter, Mike, something I find really helpful that I've done for years is if I went to see a customer face to face, I just write at the top of the page. If there's four people in the room, I used to just draw a picture of the table. I used I to write, do that. I used to draw, draw a stick man. I used to draw a stick man with a big face as to who each person was and label them. And then I'd write VAK above their heads. And then I'd draw a picture of the eyes on the little stick man. And then I'd just draw brush strokes where I was watching their eyes going. So I might not always be able to do it in the meeting. 
of thinking, oh, I'm going to use language to just fire back at that. But what it would give me is when I see my follow-ups after the meeting, I could write very much in their linguistic preference. Mm, and it's smart. actually a lot easier to do than you think it is. Well, something else that I think is useful is going back to something Christian said early on, you know, this is, it's quite hard to integrate. If you've been selling a long time, you sort of wish you'd done it earlier, but to get myself in the general mindset of it, everybody I've been speaking to, I have been having a five bar gate. Have you? How many call, how many people have I spoken to? Right. How many visual, how many auditory, how many kinesthetic? Hopefully those three should add up to the total. It's amazed me how few I have just forgotten to do it with. Because you just get carried away, don't think about it. It's hard to get your mind actually into doing it, isn't it, really? What, into listening out for it? Yeah, very difficult. Well, it's like any habit, isn't it? Well, absolutely. Chapter six, a, a VAK mixed audience. Now, we were all talking about this earlier. Are we missing out a third of our end user prospects because we're talking in one type? What were your thoughts on addressing a mixed uh, audience, guys? It's difficult. <laughs> you know, it's it, it's difficult because you wouldn't. We'll all have natural, you know, natural preference to how we communicate. Be that be that one of them. So, to to the point we were just making there, being being mindful enough, being present enough in the in the situation. Um, you know, like going back to Tim's example, he's he's trying to keep part of his brain's trying to trying to um, process information around. What's my rep saying? How can I coach them? Like, what can I, you know, what messaging can I send them to help them get this over the line? Um, telling him when to be quiet as well, as, as we've heard. Um, <laughs> but also, if he's also trying to, like, process, right, if I'm going to say something, how do I how do I address this in a, so I'm, I'm addressing all the audience, so I'm ticking the VAK box. I mean, that that's not easy, right? That That's oh. quite, quite difficult. So, um I guess if there's multiple multiple stakeholders from from our side involved in the communication, then like maybe there's a way you could structure that so you are between you, so you are ticking those those boxes. That could be one way of approaching it. But it would be interesting to get a three person team, one of each type, wouldn't it? What for a mixed audience? Yeah. But then you risk. I, I think then I think the better option, and I, I think Christian just mentioned this. I, I like the mixing the back as a kind of you know if you've got yeah. a large audience you don't know. And then I also I was later on in the book, you know I think the the the, the, the mirroring, um, splitting up the mirroring, and also then having someone kind of track who is making you know VAOK comments. I think that would be that'd be useful too. I think it'd be great if you, if you mix people and you all talk in one voice, you know either VAOK. Then you, you risk alienating the other two thirds of the not alienating, but you know not reaching yeah. the thirds all the time. So I, I think rather the mixing continuously with the the mirroring with the larger group would be better than just saying okay we're going to get a back we're going to get the A and K because then we've got all our bases covered and we can just talk naturally and not worry about it. Mm. It will be interesting for our rebanded Johnny as to how the language is written. Yeah, I thought a lot about that whilst I was rereading the book and about how we want the website written. I want it written in a mixed language. Be interesting because I think the the ladies that we're dealing with, the two people that are, that are running this for us, as I look back, they're both very visual, I thought. Yes. Well, it, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because in this virtual world, we see inside lots of homes. Yeah, both very visual homes, I thought. 
very visual, very aesthetic uh, environments. Yeah, exactly. So maybe we can pick they, up they from our. Do that. Maybe we can pick up from our prospects' environments. You know, where, 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 what cues there are to their preferred communication style. Possibly, I, I think in reality that's more of a mind read. I think the, the reality is you've got to get people talking and listen to their language preference and then mirror that language preference. And that, in, in itself creates, that in itself creates deep, deep. What's, what's brilliant about the book is until you've tried it, you don't realise just how deep a level of rapport it builds in comparison to the whole, you're an Arsenal fan, I'm an Arsenal fan thing. It, it's just a whole different universe of rapport. And yes. people don't get it until they've done it. So people are probably listening to the show going, what are these boys on about? VAK. <laughs> if all you do, if the only thing I think people get out of the book is the concept of understanding if somebody's visual, auditory or kinesthetic in their language, and then using that type of language just to build rapport, not embedding commands, not creating action statements, not doing anything else, I'll tell you now that they'll probably shoot up several percentage points in the amount of deals they win because the level of rapport they'll have will be just so much deeper. Yeah, I was thinking in our CRM, um, I, I, I want to see when we, we do our you know relationship maps, especially for the UK folk as a, as a first kind of test run, I want to start having them tell me if they're VA or K. And saying, okay, well, how, how will you communicate? Because, I mean, we have all these other things, you know, what's their position, who, who do they talk to, who's the influencer, who's their boss? I mean, saying how do they, you know, what's the best way to talk to them? It's also useful if I come into a, a call or a meeting and I have to talk to the, the CFO or the head of procurement, if I know how to build that rapport better than saying, oh, you know, how's life during lockdown and, you know, what's been delivered and, oh, how are your kids? Nice to see you in the home office. If, you, if, I, if I can kind of kick off on a better way because I know that they're going to respond better to the ALK language, that, that helps me. Right, and what I want to do is help my rep achieve their aim, which is to get get the deal done at the most value. Have you seen an app called Crystal Nose? Yes. I mean, I love Crystal, and I'm I'm reading the book by the guys that have designed it at the moment, predicting personality. Um, That's really useful because it sits inside your Salesforce system, Um, and basically, it gives you. Do you use that, Christian? Yeah, I've, we used it, funnily enough. Um, they've also got a Chrome plugin. Fabulous, um, isn't it? I think you get so, so, many, free, so many free credits if you, if you install it. And uh, we used it. I used it once. We were preparing to present to this MD, and he's very, like, you'll, you, you'll be, like, 30 seconds into your pitch, and he'll look like, you know, he'll interrupt you, and he's like, just give me the, the headlines. And, but using Crystal Nose to prepare for that meeting was gold because it was just like this is how they prefer to be communicated to um they love to negotiate it gave you so many like information points that you you could then just start to see play out in the meeting but you felt like you were prepared for them and you, you kind of seen them come in so some great like johnny says some great free tools out there that that speak to this kind of thing that can really help you prepare for a more successful meeting guys i'm just gonna have to put the call on hold for one minute whilst i go and answer the door in true homeworking style. I'll be back in a second. Wouldn't be the same if someone didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't exactly. be a conference call if someone didn't do that. My problem is my dog. I've got this dog. It's the loudest flipping dog on the face of the planet. Somebody walks past the house, just goes mental. Just ridiculous. 
I can identify, you know, even the folk in the US, I can identify, you know, who, whose dog is barking. That's how, that's how bad <laughs> we have a, we had a whole, we had a whole get to know what each other's pets. Well, I don't have any pets, unfortunately, so I had to pretend um, and make up a dog. But honestly, some of the... the, the, the what, where you hold your dog up in front of the camera? And it's just a norm now, isn't it? He's just there with his sausage dogs. And you think, yeah, yeah fair enough. Even yeah, some of people's kids, I had conversations with people. I'm like, oh, hi, hi, <laughs> how are you? How is the homework? <laughs> like, oh, Your homework. <laughs> we did that. <clears throat> Sorry, go on. No, yeah, go on, Christian. No, I was just going to say, we did an activity with the team the other day. Um, we did our sales kickoff. And obviously, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's not the same remotely, right? But no. um, it's a bit more, bit more Zoom for everyone. Um, but we sent everybody in the evening, early evening, we sent everybody pizzas and we did um, Desert Island Discs. And one of the guys oh, nice. in the team is a bit of a DJ. Um, so he was, people were like nominating the tunes and then, but it was, what was great about it wasn't just the, the music, it was the stories that went with the music. So it was like, I'm nominating this and this, like, these are the reasons why I was traveling and this happened and that happened. So that sounds cool. It was, we, it was really good. We could do that. We've got a chap who works for us in the Philippines. It would be interesting to listen he's to very what... into his music, is Jose. <laughs> See what I know that's what I mean. Yeah, he's, he's really yeah. into it, Jose. Like, he really lives, eats, it. and breathes music, does Jose. Yeah, yeah. Right, let's. Are you recording again, Johnny? I am. We were still recording anyway. I've recorded all of that. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so the... we called you names. <laughs> <laughs> so I like this bit here, chapter nine, non-verbal mirroring. I wonder how easy that was going to be over a web camera, though. Yeah, I thought uh, when I read that section you reflect don't you know i thought that's something you you tend to do kind of unconsciously like i can think of times where you know sometimes you might you might have met a prospect over like over dinner or over a drink right and they they kind of lean forward and you feel yourself doing it as well and you, you like you start to mirror them and when they have a drink you have a drink and that, that kind of stuff but as you say, how do you, how does that trans, I'm interested in people's thoughts. How do you translate that into a, into a remote world over Zoom? It's much harder. I'm not sure I, you can. I think you can partially do it. You can pick up on small stuff. Well, Tim but was talking not, about turning the webcam around and whether people noticed, you know. But, but there's not that much we can do, is the reality. Strange. You, you, you two have got the, the nice microphones you're constrained that you can't really move left and right or, no, exactly, not in this or lean in or lean out because if you do you're gonna you're gonna hurt your nose on the microphone yeah. so there's definitely more constraints and uh, there's uh, it's definitely a lot more a lot more difficult and again it comes back to how do you establish that rapport is there other tools that we should be looking at to try and you know to try and see if we can work out how word clouds and that kind of stuff you know can we start kicking off meetings with that and getting people to, to react to questions to see if we can try and establish rapport but also try and work out what type of person they are and, and profile them and quickly mm -hmm. i would agree on the physical stuff with zoom it makes it it makes it so much more difficult miles harder and I, I, I don't know what do. you 
I don't know what Sorry. you guys think, but I, I cannot wait to get back out in front of some customers face to face when things start to ease. Cannot wait. Mike's not so bothered, are you? Because you don't like people, do you, Mike? I'm <laughs> not a particularly friendly man, no. <laughs> yeah, you guys, Tim and Christian, you see a very, you know, jovial side of me. This isn't really me. I, I need um, the human company more, I think. I'm, so, I'm kind of torn on, on it a little bit. I, so I think there's part of our sales process where it's invaluable. Like, we get into discovery. Very often we, we used to invite um, customers into our offices at peak, you know, like we can, we've got the kind of environment where you can draw on all the walls and we'd map out their processes, you know, systems, sources of data, and it's very interactive. And, you know, just talking about being able to mirror people, that's the kind of environment where people are getting up and sitting down and you can do a lot of that, right? Um, so I miss that. The I guess the bit that I don't miss is we, we had um, a session with a um, an exec committee just before christmas you know and they wanted us to drive three and a half hours down to egham in surrey um you know for a one hour meeting to drive three and a half hours home like you know during covid and we kind of made the decision as a team right like we'd love to be there and one of our team did attend um who lived like in the vicinity but it was like it's that productivity thing you know four or five people yeah. making that journey um I get it shows willing and commitment, but but also you like you've lost a day, yeah, um, for one meeting, and yeah, and it's finding that it's finding that balance. I think we've found teams have been able to be a lot more productive um, due to lockdown, just about how they manage their time and and, and their diaries. Yeah, that yeah, is too. that is true, Michael. It's interesting you missed out chapter eight, buying well, patterns. What happened Straight with the process, Michael? You've, you've deviated from your, your, your norm. You're, you're yeah. out of character, not going chapter by chapter. Well, it's because 3000 has malfunctioned. <laughs> it's because I've got chapter 10 open. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, it's interesting buying patterns. So, so and I've written at the top of this chapter, when I deal with candidates that I've never dealt with before, and you look at their background, there's always... A, a move that people make where you look at it and think, well, that's a touch out of character. So I will look at their background and I will go, I can see you went from SAP to Oracle to Microsoft to IBM, and then you worked at Diddley Squat, Little Nothing Company. When you decided to go there, talk to me about the process that you went through in order to decide how to do it. Yeah, I do that a lot. Now, actually, quite how workable that is in a software sales environment, I don't know. But I do like buying patterns because we all we all have one. Johnny, you know what my buying pattern is. Yeah, you need repeated convincers. Yeah. Um, and you need to see significant evidence before you buy. Correct. That's Mike. I know that's how Mike buys. Me, but the- I'll, I need to watch at least 20 YouTube videos. So I'm very visual and auditory and I need social proof. But everybody's got a little bang pattern before they make a purchase. And I do think that's a killer app. The problem is you've A, got to be very, very consciously incompetent with eliciting VAK. And then you've got to have the confidence and the rapport to say, tell me about a time where you uh, So the last system that you bought. How, tell me about how that went down. How, how did the procurement take place? What was your thinking around that? And actually, once you can do that, 
if you can map your selling process to their buying process, it, it, it's nuts powerful, like just ridiculous. But, but that leads me to a question, which is, where does it stop being a sales process? And at what point do you start manipulating? Because actually, if you start using things like buying patterns and you get good at it, it's very hard to not be manipulative with it if you're consciously using it because you really are just diving into people's subconscious minds and it's very subliminal. And is that actually ethical? Well, I mean, the question is asked, isn't it? Your integrity is critical ensuring that what you are selling is indeed needed. Right. I think that the one thing I would say is if, if, if you sell something that isn't needed and it's not an ethical sale, you're not going to sell them anything else ever again in the future. And it was, as we all know, repeat business is 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 so key because the overall. You Excuse know, me, thirty of, seconds. <laughs> yeah, it's bonkers, isn't it? All this stuff. What, what a year! Right. What a year! It's just been I bonkers. Yeah. Well, I, I worked out it's the longest I've been in the UK since the age of thirteen. I mean, I've just wow. That I, I'm so used to traveling, and I've been. I mean, the, the year before, I looked at actually for our one of our meetings last year, I had someone map out my Q1 from pre-COVID, and every country and you know city I visited, and then looked at post. And it was just crazy. I've been in South Africa, Germany, the US, um, France, Switzerland, Romania in the first quarter. Um, and good mileage, good carbon footprint, Tim. Yeah, where <laughs> actually that's that's true. That's like I said, is I need to cut back because you know, at some of these meetings, I used to fly if it's big, a big enough deal, I'd fly to a, a foreign country for an hour's meeting if the deal you know was, was big enough. But hopefully, we can get away from that because it's not good for the carbon footprint. Then I looked at Q2, and the furthest I got was 11 kilometers from my house, which was my run. So I didn't, <laughs> I didn't get further. We've got, we've got booths in Ilkley that I can walk to. We've got booths that I can go to and I can get wine delivered. So I didn't need to go any further than that. Yeah. <laughs> why, why, do, why do you need to go anywhere when there's masterofmalt.com? <laughs> absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Right. So, yeah, so I think that that's the, the, the question, isn't it, is if you can get really good at this, you, you can lose a little bit of integrity. But I think Tim's point is spot on, which is – if what you're providing is provided with integrity, it's okay to do it in a powerful way because the customer in the final analysis is still going to look back and go, well, I'm glad I bought it. But if yeah, actually well, you're peddling snake oil and manipulating the customer, yeah, you might make money, but you ain't selling there again. Yep. Correct. People have long memories. Big, big customers have long memories. You, you rock yeah, up they do. a different they company do. and they're like, well, you're the guy who someone who didn't do what you said it would do. I'm not going to give you another $2 million. Yeah, I, you're absolutely right. We get the same with sales recruitment. You know, we can brief candidates so well that they can get the job. But what's the point? They've got to get yeah, there and fail. Yeah, if you wanted to, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What's the yeah. point? they just got to get there and fail. So there's little point. But I think chapter 10, creating okay. actions with words, has got one of my favorite, my best ever, all-time great sales pieces in it. Go on, Mike. Why? Because... What I don't want you to think about, Johnny, <laughs> is a pink elephant. Oh, man. It's just a beauty, that, isn't it? You can put don't in a sentence that you write down, in a sentence that you speak, and the human brain just doesn't recognise don't. Oh, I just absolutely. Think it's marvellous. 
absolutely. You, it, it's a very, very easy, whatever you do, don't go to that interview next week. What? Yeah, or, listen, what, I know you, anything. Anything. Listen, I know you've got a tough choice over this weekend, but just don't think about this job over the weekend. Don't think about it when you're chilling out. Don't think about <laughs> yeah. our solution. Yeah. yeah. All, all that stuff. All that you stuff. Know, I mean, he gives killer. a great example here, doesn't he, with golf. And he's so I knew true. you'd pick up on this. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I I was laughing on a WhatsApp group with some mates of mine last night about how I blew um, the number the major competition at our golf club this year. I was leading by five shots uh, with five holes to play. I, I was just miles in front, and I, I stood on the dog leg, uh, and uh, I actually can recall. I was reading this, and I can actually recall the thought going through my head, which was, "Don't scuff this and put it in the trees." Where did it go? Uh, I didn't scuff it and put it in the trees. I scuffed it left and put it in the ridiculously heavy rough and managed to find my way into the hole in nine shots from there. Which, there you go. Which blew my chances at winning the captain's prize in my first season back in golf in 30 years. Um, but it was fascinating because you do, how often, you know, anybody who plays golf, they stand on the tee. There's a big lake in front of them. Don't put this in the water. Next thing they know, dropping in front of the lake. Exactly. Well, there's, there's, I mean, there's so much in this chapter, isn't there? Just, I, I, you know, the, he's given his example about Trust ABC Co. And, and what I started doing a while ago, and I need to get back to it really, is when I'm doing new business prospecting, is embedding, yeah. you know, some terms. You don't need to call me back. It's just, just those little things. If you don't read all the way through the email, I think you're nodding, Tim and Chris. I can see that, you know, I don't know whether this is something you were previously doing or whether this has brought it out, but I think they're fascinating, these. I know that you, like me, find working with recruiters quite frustrating and you, like me, find that sometimes recruiters can really annoy you. Yeah, I usually, you like me all the time. Um, all the time. Consultants do that as well. Consult, I mean, I, I, we're, yeah. we're doing quite a big exercise at the moment. We consult on some, you know, global sales strategy and how we get set up moving forward for the next stage. And they start off nearly every call saying, we know that you don't like consultants. And I was like, what? what? <laughs> Why would you start every call by saying that? We're paying you a lot of money. And it, is, it was interesting. We read this. I was like, is that conscious? And I got a call with them later on today, so I might well ask. Have you read the book? Or was that just a bit of happy, happy, happy coincidence? Yeah. That's interesting, that, isn't it? I wonder whether it pause, is. Uh, and are they pausing with you don't like consultants? Yeah, that, that 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 breaking up the natural rhythm, which comes later in the yeah. book a bit more in the scripting, I quite enjoy and, and, that part too. Yeah, it's really, it, it, and I'll tell you what, a lot of people say, oh, well, it's going to be really difficult to apply. Some of the stuff like this, the action stuff is very easy to apply in emails when you've got time to oh, think. Oh, so simple. I was going to, I was glad when you raised this chapter, Michael, because I, I saw an email the other day that one of my team had sent to one of our prospects and I, I read it and I, immediately I thought it's too long like, where are the action words? Where's the call to action? Actually, we've put three things on him that we've asked him to do and not made it easy for him. Um, and it's so simple. You know, it's so simple. Like, mm. just the use of language, how you could have changed that email, make it a bit more more interesting, use bold, call certain words out, um, you know, supercharging your xyz rather than just oh shall we have a chat about this um <laughs> it, it it makes all the difference yeah in, in in the multitude of emails that they must receive every day right um just taking some some time and care as to how you write it and the language you use is such a game changer why not just give yourself a little bit of an extra edge 
Why yeah. not? What else are you going to do for that 10 minutes? Even yeah. if it means you get your book out and think, right, okay, client's visual, right. So I need to use visual language in my email. Right. Okay. And I need an action item in here. Right. Okay. And it needs to be a, a, a distinct verb. Right. Great. Okay. And I'm going to embed a command in here. Um, and in fact, do you know what? I'm just going to look at the color palette for what's one shade lighter than pure black. And I'm going to just make that half a font size larger in my embedded command. I do that in my uh, new business emails. Why not? I always do that. Why wouldn't you? Slightly different font color, half a size bigger. Call me, read this. Always do that. Drive but it, where it's imperceptible. But you see, the thing is, Tim, I don't think you would. I think you would read it as a salesman and go, oh, damn it, I quite like that, but I don't want to admit it. Well, next time you want to pitch to me, give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> but one, of us, one of us will look silly and we can come back on another one. <laughs> it, 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 it's been a good kick up the bum for me, this book, because I have got out of the habit of doing it, which is ridiculous because I spent a fortune on my NLP training. I, I think some of these are brilliant as well. On page 126, there's some bad examples. Ramada will pay you to sleep with the competition. I mean, you think about that as an embedded command. I don't, I don't, I didn't oh, understand that when I was out with the dog the other day and he was, he was talking about that. I, I, Somebody's paid millions for that strap line. I didn't get it at all. Amazing. The old will be alleged demand better. <laughs> Just incredible. I thought that. And also, I don't know whether you were co whether you were covering a bit this Christian what you're talking about. But have a clear objective in your outgoing communication. Yeah. What do you actually want someone to do? Yeah. Exactly. That it should always be written from the context of like any communication, whether it's verbal or written. What do you want to do? What, what? Put my teeth back in. What do you want them to do once they've read it or they've heard what you've said? That mm. pure and simple. Yeah. Um, it, it's the basics. But we, but we all fail at that, I think, every now and then. I think we're all guilty of writing emails that if we read them back, they wouldn't pass the mannequin test. Yeah, or, or a yeah. LinkedIn message, Mike. You know, you and I both know, we, we, Michael and I spent a lot of time this week talking about resource for Inward Revenue because we're, we're really busy and we're, we're a little bit overwhelmed with some of the work and we're working really hard and we're adding people. And it's very easy to get into a mindset of, oh, shit, I've got 300 in, uh, emails in my inbox bang, respond, bang, respond, bang, respond, bang, respond. But actually, why have you got 300 emails in your inbox? Because actually 90% of those are because your language in the emails preceding that was thoughtless and you're in an endless loop of email rather than an action-driven loop with the things you're asking for out of your emails to everybody else. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, 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 it's a bit of a old adage but the, the the important emails the ones where you actually want people to read them and do something i think i was composing one you know we, we, we made an acquisition last year which pretty much doubled the size of the team in, in emir and i was putting together some some direction on how i wanted the groups to to work and i was about to just say well it's simple because i that i didn't want them to do three things i was like hold on a second though i really got to make sure that it's it's clear what my expectation is and again i'm writing to people in 14 15 different countries so we've got the, the second right. third language issue and it, it is it, it is so important to get the the clarity and the call to action absolutely right. And if you don't take time when you feel it's important, I mean, what's the point in writing the email? I mean, you just if, yeah. if you're not making it clear to people is here's what I'm telling you and here's what I want. Um, and you know you can phrase it in different ways depending if it's internal, external, whatever else. But it's just so so key to you know to to, to really get the action item absolutely clear. 
Yes, because you only have yourself to blame if you don't get the action. Yeah. I, you, I, get, you get the action your email deserved is the reality. And take time to do it. I, I will not, you know, I, I told myself, unless it's absolutely going to make a difference in the next 10 minutes, the, the ones that I want for, you know, general communication to go to the wider audience, take time to get it right. And yeah. also take time when you're, when you're not emotional. When you think, oh, my God, they've messed it up. Here we go. You've got to really look at, you know, step back take the emotion out of it what's the outcome you want and that's the same with anything if you're going to communicate with a customer which could earn you you know, make your target for the year get you to club you know get your partner the new set of golf clubs beauty treatment um hair treatment that they want get it right because it's meaningful to your life so give, give yourself the right to control the time to do something I important agree. i think what is interesting sorry go on christian yeah i was just going to say and on that as well that but the number of times that somebody does send that email when it could have been a call Oh, and like, yeah. And so, so much like on email, so much is left open to like your use of language, how they interpret it. Did, do they even read it when actually it could have been a 30 second call, you know, and there's, and there's absolute clarity, you know, you're aligned, you're, you're agreed. Great. Let, let's move forward. No misinterpretation. Yeah. Oh, I've, no. I've sent emails when I when you when you see the endless chains and you get copied on it. And you know why are you copying me? Do you want me to do something or just because you think I don't have enough to do? But I've just replied, <laughs> hit, hit reply all and said speak to each other, phone each other, because you know I don't want to see another email saying did you mean seven percent or seven and a half percent and is that net or gross or you know it's like phone each other. I, I agree with you. Chris. <laughs> It's, yeah. not, it's not like we haven't got enough Zoom or Teams tools that we can't communicate remotely. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, the whole idea you, of Teams is that you hit that little video button and just make an instantaneous video yeah. call there and then. That was you, that's you, the point. Yeah, but in that example I gave you earlier, you know, you're dealing with a senior stakeholder. You send him an email. Suddenly, you've you he's got another email to deal with, and you've asked him to do three things. Um, so he's probably going to park it, and it's it's going to go on his to do list. Whereas if you'd have called him. And just said, "Can I just have that person's email? Give me that person's email, and I'll tee up that next meeting, and we'll go and do X." Like suddenly, you've taken that off his off his plate, and it's sometimes it's just as simple as that. Yeah, Are you absolutely right. Do you know what I find? Actually, I was thinking about this this chapter. Is I find increasingly I'm doing so much more communication via text message. And because of the brevity of text message, it's just action, 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 action. Do this, do that. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's very much. But you wrote that a lot of the communication you're doing via text is because you have profound rapport already with whoever yes. you're doing it with. You're not, yes, I, you're not I wouldn't do that with somebody side. I didn't know. No, a lot of the text business you're doing, and I'm the same, uh, uh, iMessage has really come into its own, I think, in the last year, is it's all with people that I've got very deep rapport with where we're just sorting action items out but it yes, works so you make but a very good point th there's a really interesting bit here i think in the chapter on embedding commands where oh, I'm glad you're on this. i like this bit where he talks about the trick to embedding with many words is to be somewhat theatrical in your delivery use your voice to sound interesting and enthusiastic let your pitch rise and fall even if your words are not really that interesting vary the speed of your delivery and mike you know we've trained lots of account handlers and people that have come into our business I find it very hard to coach that theatrical part of people's personalities. Well, you are speaking to the world's most monotone man, Jonathan, in me. <laughs> but yeah. you've worked at it. 
hard, but I've still, I've still not got very far. You know, so t- Tim and Christian don't know what you sounded like at 23 years old. They do. I sound like it now. No, um, you sounded very but, but my point being, you know, hilarity, you're absolutely right, uh, uh, right about that. I do think you've got to take into account the way in which the individual communicates. So I have got a candidate who is into amateur dramatics. I'm drum. I'm drum. He'd be good at that. But actually, if you're me, you've got to embed the commands in a different way. Yes. But it's little things like intonation, or if you're embedding commands, are very, very powerful. So, for example, the upward inflection is a killer in this instance. Of course it is, because you're emphasising the word killer. What, what I think is fascinating is I've got a, a guy that I'm working with at the minute who's candidate, and he is the nicest, most infectious man you could possibly wish to talk to. And you automatically just like everything he says more than somebody else, because he's such a nice man. And I do what think- is it about him that makes him appear nice? Because he's doing something with his communication that comes across. He's communicating nice, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but we can't necessarily replicate it. No. Or so, put but your the, the point on what that, it is correct. Yeah. yeah. But that point, that whole concept of being able to modulate your voice. You know, for, currently nobody has to get past the gatekeeper. That that art, no, they don't. that it will be a dead art in a year and a half's time. But when people start going back to offices, they will hide behind gatekeepers again. And there is a generation of salespeople who are going to wake up and have the shock of their lives because they're going to have to get past some gatekeepers. Now, if I was teaching somebody to get past a gatekeeper, I wouldn't let one of the things that's a real pet peeve of mine, for example, is, and he talks about it here, is intonation. Well, you know how I do it. I'm, as, I'm the most miserable man on earth when I'm talking yeah, to a deliber- gatekeeper. You deliberately sound grumpy. Yeah. I do. I did, what, uh, I what's the point? It sounded like and a they, and, and I don't ask questions. I make So I state questions with the intonation of a command because I've worked on that over the years. So I wouldn't say, is he in? I'd say, is he in? And I'm much more, it's a command, not a, uh, a question. If they, I don't ask if I can hold. I'll tell them, I'll hold. What and, I, thought- and I know that makes me sound aggressive, but it's because I've got years of trying to get past gatekeepers to make sales calls. And I know subconsciously I have to scramble the mind of the gatekeeper. And a lot of that is about creating confusion patterns in the mind of the gatekeeper. So they're a bit like, well, who are you? Are you important? Aren't you important? I'm not too sure. And yeah, okay, it's a bit, it's a bit sneaky, but hey, got a living to earn. So what, what I do think is that's a killer point he makes there about intonation. And one of the things I find very challenging is we've got a generation coming through as salespeople that ask, a, ask questions and have upward inflections when they end sentences. And that kills people, I think. And they don't realise it's killing them. My, my daughter's not allowed to have an upward inflection. Sorry, go on, Tim. It's not like you're going to say something there. So I think the, the, the embed in a negative is, is, a, it, it's kind of, it's, it's a simple way, but it's also quite an effective way because, again, when, when you're selling, they don't expect you to say, don't, you know, don't buy yet. Let me make sure, you know, I want, I, you know, don't make a decision too early. What do I need? The other bit I thought to your 
mind scrambling is a is a bold phrase um uh john but it, <laughs> <laughs> the um the, the bit where you respond out of that so if you do know if it's it, it if you've, if you've got their back preference and you respond out of that initially and then go and then yeah. sit back into it afterwards. I thought that made sense as well. Cause it is about kind of it slightly putting them out of their, their comfort zone to get the result that you want. And I think, you know, those, those two things um, make, make sense. And I think that the gatekeeper thing is an interesting one is how much will come back. I do think that on the whole, I'm finding that salespeople are getting involved later in the sales than they would have done previously. Um, and I, I wonder how much of, you know, and the key is obviously to get involved early because if you're not in early, often the decisions are made, but because of the way people are buying, I wonder how much of that gatekeeper stuff is going to come, come back and how much the, how much more we're going to be restricted about being able to influence early. It's something, you know, we're thinking about a lot is how, how do we get back to the stage where we could, where we could generate the interest and the need so that we have more, control in the sale i think that, yeah. that, that gatekeeper stuff we're certainly seeing it less because people you know execs have got a bit more time because they're not always they're at time. home yeah they're, they're at home and we have tools that give us access to their mobile numbers yeah and it, so comes then, back to, though, it comes back to when you do get that that opportunity to speak all right they might take the call or you might get a zoom but you have to be so engaging and relevant in that in that first you know two minutes Yes. Otherwise, you're you're going to struggle forever then or after, and you don't get the you don't get the second call when you can actually start to make some you know some more meaningful progress into into what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, that it is true. And then he moves the book forward into this chapter that he does on mindsets, which I really liked actually because it was a very succinct explanation of a book Mike and I covered on Book Club recently called Words That Change Minds. Words that change minds. Right. If you like this book. And That's I know, because I've swapped messages with both Tim and Christian about Chapter 12, so I know you both like it. The next book for you to buy is Words That Change Minds. Yeah. It's Chapter 12 and then a bit more. But Chapter 12 in its own right is superb. Well, it's such a good explanation of what well, was well, a much more in-depth book. Well, Tim, Christian, you know, either of you, both of you, what did you make? I know you both liked it, so Chapter 12, so what do you make of it? I love it. I think it's going back to what we were talking about <clears throat> earlier. You know, how would you how would you get your team to adopt some of this right and, and bring it into their everyday way of selling? I think this is another element that you could quite easily bring in and that, <clears throat> again, as an individual or as a team, you could identify people's preferences and mindset. Um, like probably the, the simplest example that I'd, I'd kind of go to, which he uses is in the book, is like the the toward and the away from. Um, so recognizing in somebody, you know, <clears throat> we'll look for those change agents in business, don't we? Like head of transformation or sometimes it's like, it, it, you know, it could be the type of persona that's like a head of digital that they tend to be very like toward type personalities, toward the future, towards something new, a new beginning, transformation. Whereas, you know, you might speak to somebody um, who's more like, program delivery and 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 they use more away from language so yeah like we want to avoid missing time scales you know we don't want we don't want anything to get held up like you know i want to make sure we tick all these boxes before we move things on so so yeah i think it's i think it's brilliant in terms of how it structures that that must be readily integratable for you then i guess 
Yeah, absolutely. In what we, you know, in what we sell and, and the way that we try and build, I guess, interest in our, in our products, because, you know, people don't start the year with a, you know, with a budget for AI machine learning um, in, in the way that we uh, implement it in businesses. Right. So we have to, we have to find those personas that particularly are like toward and have got this vision of the future in a different way of doing something. So um, it would definitely help qualifying some of our sales cycles if we were identifying are they those kind of individuals. And do you Absolutely. think you would change? Sorry, go on, Tim. No, 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 no. you might finish off. Finish well, I, well, I was gonna, I was gonna say to Christian actually, I was gonna say, do you think that would mean you would change your marketing message to different personas in the same business? Absolutely, so, like hundred percent. And I think, well, you'd be mad not to, wouldn't you? Um, yeah. Is even because we talk to different lines of business. So some of them are marketing personas, some of them are su supply chain personas, you know, some are merchandisers, um, like using, understanding their personas and the types of like mindset and, and are they visual or auditory, I think is key to any marketing collateral you would use with those, you know, with those targets. Cool. Sorry. Cool. I, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm completely in agreement with you. It's interesting with our client base. You know, if somebody just got fired, I don't know whether the, whether the client is now on away from missing my target, whereas if somebody's growing, is the client a toward? But go on, Tim, you were going to say something. I think it's variable, Mike, depending on the scenario. Yeah, possibly. I, I really like 12 and leading into 13. I kind of felt that was getting to more, you know, traditional selling, objection handling, and, and, and mm. how to, you know, getting towards the close. And I also thought that there's, there's a note on page 170 about, you know, what, what sales managers normally look for. You know, we're looking for the goal-oriented um, and, the, and, and the towards. Whereas, in fact, if you actually look at what salespeople have to do a lot of the time and, and the way people might be away from, I thought that was really interesting. I highlighted that and said, I need to come back to that and really, really think about that again. And Because it, it kind of challenged me. I was like, you're right. You do think the toward. You want the, the person who, who is going to, make their number and then get to the accelerator and then do the next thing. That's what you think you want, but the, is the best way to do that, to employ that, that really goal oriented person or to look at the one who's really going to be able to get under, you know, react well to the mindset of their, of their prospects and then handle those objections. You are absolutely right on with, sorry, Johnny, I keep talking over, but you are right on with that, Tim, because personally I'm a huge away from person. I, I am about not missing target rather than chasing to hit target. And I, I'm not saying, well, what, what, so it's interesting, you know, you, all, you three sat opposite me, you'll all be one of those things. You'll all be, I think Johnny's a toward guy, actually. Yeah. Christian, Tim, are you toward or away from? Depends which of um, who I'm talking to. <laughs> <laughs> and what part of the quarter you're in. Yeah, so how good the numbers are looking. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a great point Tim raises, like, if I think about, like, one of our top performers, I would naturally probably think they were toward, but actually like they may say things like, like he couldn't bear the thought of like not hitting, not hitting his target, not doing what he feels personally responsible for delivering and the thought of anybody like beating him. So actually he's probably more away from. Um, that's really interesting, Christian, because I was I was thinking back to when I first met you actually, and I was I was carrying I was carrying direct quota then. I was a direct sales rep out in the field. Yeah. And I, I always I, I almost made myself, you know, quite quite stressed. I always wanted to be number one. 
I didn't want to be just a number one in Europe. I wanted to be the number one in the US, even though it was a US company. And I was that I was that kind of away from because I was like, I have to get to target, I have to get to target. Then when I hit target, am I now I'm toward because I want to get toward the the next accelerator and end up at 278% or whatever else yeah. it it was. But the, my my base position then was I don't want to get fired and I want to be the best. So it was kind of almost a combination. Do, do you know I've, I've got a guy, I'll let you speak in a minute, Johnny, but I've got this guy that I know who I've placed a couple of times. And uh, let's say he's called Richard. You go, how's it going, Richard? And I'm not exaggerating. Within about the first two minutes, you go, let's just not talk about 2009. <laughs> and you'll say, what? I, and it's because the only time he has ever missed target is in 2009. And it's, it devastates him. Yeah, he still I'm talks sure, about it now. God. And I feel like I say to you, just give yourself a break, mate. <laughs> you hit target. <laughs> it's all, all right. right. It was 11 years ago. Oh, yeah, but I missed target in 2009. And I mean, he did something like 80% or something. I still and it wasn't deals. like he stank the place out. Oh. I still remember deals that I lost. And I, I mean, these, again, when I first met Christian, which is the best part of eight or 10 years ago, I keep, th- like, there's still deals that, you know, catch oh, me. Yeah. Like, Why didn't I think that better? <laughs> yeah. what, what was I thinking? Why couldn't I have that deal? There's one in 2011. I was like, I've come a fair way since 2000. It still bugs me. Really annoys <laughs> me every time I think about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good. And some of the other patterns, that the internal, external, that's so useful. You know, you th- a good example is I was on with a prospect yesterday and uh, he, he was an external guy. It really matters. He, he was a customer prospect, but I felt that he was motivated by my approval of him as opposed to his own approval of himself. And he, he was searching through the call. The, when I, I was re, re, just rereading this this morning just to prepare for the, for the session. And I was thinking, do you know, yesterday, he spent a lot of time almost trying to validate with me what his business was doing and how yeah, motivated. Yeah. And so I, I think that it, it, it's, it's a short chapter, but those little bits on it's mindset. It's a massive chapter, that. Massive. Yeah, it's... It, I, I wouldn't. I would almost recommend skipping it and reading words that change minds. Because words that change. I mean, it's boring and it's old and all the rest of it. But it's a truly brilliant book. That brilliant. Yeah, and it, it because it's such a big topic of NLP in and of itself, and she does it brilliantly. And she, and the worksheets that come with the book you can download are really really good. I thought it was killer. Mm. And, a, and but, a great application towards away from internal, external uh, process. And what's the other one? I can't, without getting the book down, actually. But I did integrate that. and op- That's it, procedures and options. So I'm, yeah. you know, you and I were talking the other day about uh, some of the people that are joining the business and we were talking about an operations manual. And that's yeah. me and you being procedurally driven, wasn't it? Yes, very much so. Very much so. so. That's, I thought that was great. And then he, and then, I do like the fact he's got this objection handling chapter. Um, I, the kill- I like 13 I love so much. I've made so many marks on 13. I yeah. mean, I'll let you guys talk about it then. Well, I don't know what... Sorry. <laughs> sorry, sorry we're, we're back in our sales mode again now, Chris. We're both we're, so excited. We want to start talking about how <laughs> You go first. The bit I love about it is how it simplifies um, objections because I think salespeople very often... They're so ingrained in, a, in, in an opportunity, right? And then they think, they think they're nearly there or they think they're making great progress. And then 
you know, the prospect raises something that, and, and, and it's like the world's ending and they kind of, they get too wrapped up in it all. And I think even just looking at this from the perspective of like most objections fall into five categories. Okay. What, what kind of, what kind of objection is it? And then let's, let's just manage it accordingly. Um, and not, yeah. not get into this adversarial kind of like, why are they saying this? Like, why can't they just comply, you know, acknowledge it without losing rapport, as he says, and, and manage it in the right way, I think is, is fantastic advice. Yeah. I was always taught listen to, to listen, pause and clarify. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just that, if you don't mind my asking, you know, um, it's, yeah. it's just beautiful use of language. It buys you time, listen, pause, clarify. Just reflect yeah. back what the customer's just said. That in and of itself often overcomes the objection because the customer, if it's a ridiculous objection, if you've reflected back their words precisely to them, they'll often hear it back themselves and realise how ridiculous what they've just said was. Absolutely. And then backpedal. Come on, Tim, share some of your notes with us. You can't yeah, write all sorry, these notes and yeah, tell us. Yeah, I did a good job. I was very, I was very proud of that. One bit I thought was great was when, um, you know, salespeople try and preempt the problem before it exists and create it in their minds. Oh. Um, you know, the, the, the example here on, it was on the first page of chapter 13. I know he's going to complain about our price. I just know it. How many of us have worked with salespeople who know that? They, they go in there thinking their price is high and they're going to have to defend it rather than thinking we're going to go in there and we've got a great proposal, and this is great for the customer. So I'd be really, really excited about putting it, putting it to them. Um, you know, it's about valuing your own time when you when you go and speak to customers and being confident in what you're going to put in front of people. I get a lot of salespeople who say, "Well, I've got to go to the meeting because it's the the the, it's the CFO or it's the senior director, whatever it is." Like, well, okay, his time's important, um, but your time is important too. Um, and, and rather than going in there saying, well, they're going to beat me up on price, and they, you're already you're, you're creating yourself a problem and, you know, go in there confident in, in what and who you are and in the proposal you're putting there. Because if you're not, you're going to fail anyway. Um, I also think, yeah, the, the, the curious rather than defensive, because, you know, the, the natural reaction is when someone says, oh, the price is high, again, which is a, is a common example. You want to say, well, but most of our customers are really happy. Well, that, 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 again, dig in. Why do you think the price is high? Have you understood the proposal let me show you you know you do your back stuff let me show you why that you know you, you how i can show you that in more detail why do you feel the price is high some of this the objection handling part i as you can tell because i got a bit excited and a bit enthusiastic. <laughs> I, 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 really, I really liked it because without the linking part as well it's that uh, you might think the price is high but most of our clients are happy paying it you may think the price is high and I can understand why that might be a challenge for you, but let me show you, you know, again, just changing the paradigm and taking out those words that create negative connotations within the, the customers and, and prospects. Um, I think that I, I did make a lot of a lot of marks on chapter 13 and uh, shall be using it in several meetings that I have coming up in the next couple of weeks, which some of my sales team may not thank you for. <laughs> Do you know what's interesting about both of you there, both Tim and Christian, and it's something that Jonathan and I talk about, I, I think what happens a lot with salespeople is that they get an objection and then they flap. They just flap. You know, if you could measure their heart rate, they go all of a sudden. Yeah, the adrenaline. Like a reversing camera, isn't it? <laughs> the adrenaline kicks in and then it overrides their conscious thought. Whereas actually, if they just listened to the objection and thought to, thought to themselves. What is happening here? 
just be calm for a moment. That would just, and then talk about what are these five things and put it into it. I think you're absolutely right. I just wonder how many salespeople have got the personal calmness, self-confidence, whatever it might be, just to stop and clearly think about how to respond. I hope lots. That's why the pause thing as well is important. I also think another yeah. another technique that you can use is I think a lot of salespeople try and they try and address, you know, address that one and get onto the next one. Maybe the next one's bigger than the previous one. Trying to kind of go through and say, okay, let me get all the objections on the table and then let's make sure we can handle them in the whole. I think that that again, people, you know, people sometimes surprises them because the natural reaction is here a problem, solve a problem. You know, a lot of salespeople are that kind of, okay, see the monster, fight the monster. Whereas sometimes it's better to understand, you know, is it a larger group of monsters that have to be addressed or is it, is it just that one? And, and trying to prioritize them. Because um, I think often, often they're linked as well. If, you know, there's a, a price question or, a, you know, if you address the price question, but they can't make a decision for six months anyway. Well, frankly, what's the point of addressing the price question? You know, why not get everything on the table at once? Yes. Yeah. And the Absolutely. Common, the common objections that he raises here, right? The first four. So you've got, can't see enough value, not in a hurry to make a change, no money available, or a competitor's involved. I mean, that's all like you, you've not qualified it properly, right? Um, what, yeah. You know, what, have, yeah. what haven't we done earlier enough in the sales process that we've not uncovered that before? Because the final one is like the safe decision is, is a no decision. And I guess there's always a risk, you know, in a lot of opportunities that that could become the reality um, for various reasons, but the first four certainly for me, you'd want those uncovered in in the sales process as much as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Completely. Completely good good selling usually overcomes objections a lot earlier than they arise, but they do still arise. My favourite part of this chapter that a lot of people tend to skip over is his replacement of the word "but" with the word "and." I love that. Yeah, it's very subtle but really powerful. You know, if I say, "I think I think you're a nice bloke," but um, it, it's a very powerful linguistic <laughs> separator that's, that, that immediately can break rapport. Whereas I think you're a nice bloke and I'm wondering if I could invite you to consider something else yeah. is a very different way of, of, in, of, of wording it. And it doesn't create that subconscious barrier. And it, it, he mentions it, but he doesn't emphasize it probably as much as he could have done because it's a really killer application what? and it's such an easy behavioral change for a salesperson to make fire email as well, well i do think fire a... email as well it's really important yeah often you, you you reread it you think oh i said but and immediately personal and offensive yeah yeah and it's like of all the things to learn in the book i'm just going to stop saying the word but from here on in not hard. yeah if you got one takeaway that'd be a decent one i think not hard not hard at all um and then he, he does actually go into team presentations, language. It's a great book, this. I've loved, I've loved going back to it, actually. Completely agree. And then he's got his checklists at the end, which yeah. I always have a quick, quick look in. They're good, these. Have you, did you look at the checklists at the back of the book? Uh, nope. But I, I did do all the exercises. I went through late, late, late yesterday evening. I'd done the book and I, made my notes, and I was like, what are these bits at the back of these? And some of them are really good because, again, it goes through the, you know, it, it goes through some of the, the things that you can kind of tick off, especially if it's, if, if you've got time to repair communication ahead of times rather than, you know, just uh, conversation straight off. 
amazing that it's a lesser known book, this one. I mean, it's that lesser known. I mean, I can tell because we're producing a book at the moment. You can tell he's done it on um, Kindle print on demand. You know, it's not like there's even stock of him. You have to order it and wait for somebody to wait for it to come off a machine to arrive at your house a week later. Let's do marks out of 10 chaps. Mike? I very rarely say this, but it is a 10. Woo! And I'll tell you what it is is I always think to myself with the books is have any of the chapters been a waste of time? I don't feel like any of them have. No. Nope. I think to myself, when I so say I've got two daughters, Honey and Felicity, I've t- telling them both they're going to become salespeople because there aren't enough girls in selling and they'll do well because of that to start with. Is this going to be one of the first books I make them read? Yes. The other part, I think it's, it, it's, it, I think it's well-written in terms of the depth it goes to, it goes to just the right amount of depth. Without at any pushing point, you. Yeah, don't at any point get too deep, but gives you enough. And my last point with it is, I think anybody of any level of seniority, of any length of service in sales, who is selling anything to anybody, this book works. This is, as the man says, about you. So for me, I've always said it, it's my top five books of all time. It really is a 10 for me. Well, Tim? I kind of feel that, you know, following that, I, you know, a 10 is, is tough. First thing, I want to say one thing, Mike, I agree with you about your daughters. We need more diversity of all types in, in sales. And it's something which we're actively looking at because I'm sure throughout all of our careers, there is a certain type that we tend to see. And, and you know, the, the best teams are mixed teams of all types. And I've seen I've, that. I've got a 12-year-old downstairs. Uh, I think minimum wage for 12-year-olds is probably £10 an hour. Well, no, six, six years, ethically, in six years, I'll interview her. I'll, give you, I'll, I'll make the commitment. <laughs> right. So I would have marks out of 10. I would probably go eight and a half. Um, wow. The one thing um, I'd like to, I'd like it updated. I know it was written in 2011, and I think that was a rewrite from previously. I just feel that some, some of the references today, if I, if I started telling people about Apple Newtons, um, quite a lot of my team would look at me and say, what's a Newton? Is it like an iPad? And is it something that lives in a stream? Yeah. So I think so, uh, update some of it. And some of it was a little bit technical and I think could have been slimmed down a little bit. I would agree it's one of the most interesting reads. And certainly I think there's different levels of seniority. It talks to extremely well from, you know, new rep and then to first, second, third line sales management. Um, but I, I, I think it could do with a, a slight a slight update. Christian? I'm with Mike on this one. I give it a 10. Um, wow. I think if I, <laughs> well. if I was one of our SDRs who want to progress to be a commercial manager or somebody starting out, well, anybody in sales, basically, there's certain books you'd recommend, like spin, you know, spin selling has been a classic. Yeah. This, this is there with them for me because um, like the rules in it are just, are just golden. Like they'll stand the test of time. You know, people buy from people people make emotional decisions for rational reasons like that kind of stuff never goes away and everyone's got um preferences to how they're how they're communicated to um so and and i i guess what i also look for in any um sales books that i read now or management books now that obviously i'm i'm managing people is like what can I actually take from this book and put into practice? Like you can read a book and you can think, yeah, that was interesting, but like challenger sales, a perfect example for me, right? People made loads of noise about challenger sale. 
yeah, it's really interesting and it's great, but how do you actually go and apply it in your business? Isn't that easy? No. This is stuff that you could get people in your team doing tomorrow, um, which for me, I love books like that. I'm, I'm action-oriented. I'm a towards person, so um, <laughs> I, I love the book for that reason. Right. But, 8.5 for me, which is still probably the highest score I think I've ever given a book on book club. Really? Um, yeah. If you said why only 8.5, it, it, it would push a nine. I think it's missing a chapter on the what uh, in NLP they call the meta model, which is uh, asking questions around surface level responses. Um, and he could have done a really easy chapter on it and it would have rounded the book off as an all rounder book on communicating and understanding a completely different level. And I really look at it and think, why is he not written about that? Because that's the killer app for, for a lot of good salespeople is that ability to use language to ask questions. Um, but outside of that, he has distilled something that actually could be, if you wanted it to be, monumentally complex into a book that's actionable. And I, for me, that makes it almost certainly the best sales book I've ever read. Wow, that's quite a glittering... Uh, is he still alive, still alive, Dwayne? He is. I actually swapped some messages with him on LinkedIn the other day. He should come on the show. So, He's so maybe what guy. we'll do is I'll, 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 I'll let him know we've recorded this today and then maybe we'll record a separate show with Dwayne. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to see you guys do a show with him and then actually observe him putting some of this into practice. Yeah, that'd, be you know, that'd be awesome. Can you imagine how good he'd be? He clearly is very unconsciously competent with this sort of material. The other one the, that's like that is the other book we've referenced. Um, Words That Change Minds. Yeah, I've seen her talking on YouTube. She is that good. I'll bet. Do you know I'm who else is really brilliant, Mike, uh, and wrote a book on NLP is Sue Knight, who oh, wrote does, NLP at Work, which is that, a, it, it's a big old text is NLP at Work. But if that, you watch does, Sue Knight, she's amazing. There's Bandler. You know, watch Bandler on YouTube. Incredible. Well, as a final reference, the book to read after this, if you're really going down your NLP rabbit hole as a salesperson, Mike's going to disagree, is Persuasion Engineering by Richard Bandler. It's good. It's just very heavy. Yeah. Uh, and, and if you've got it, if you can get hold of them, there are sev- there's a box of DVDs that were recorded from a seminar that he did with John Laval on uh, that the, they called persuasion engineering it was a three-day seminar and you can get basically the entire three days of footage of the seminar i mean it's really dated looking footage but it is mega, it's That's mega a heavy book and a set of dvds that, that is <laughs> <laughs> apart That's from that we've all got really else to do this is right. like this is like the dancing show isn't it i can't what it's called on bbc uh, strictly come dancing because i actually think you, you know 37 out of 40 is a massive score yeah. yeah, it's monumental. Yeah. It's a it's massive a score. That highest score ever on book club pricey must be by, must by be. a long shot. And at but that, think- we will bid you farewell. Thank you so much, uh, Tim, Christian. You've been the best guests we've had this week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you've been the best host I've spoken to today. I, mean, I, I, I echo that. <laughs> well, we'll take <laughs> thank that. You. We'll take thank that. You, no, genuinely, guys, thank you so much for giving your time to come on the show. We really, really appreciate it. Um, and that, goodbye.